What's up, everyone? Welcome to Yanks Go Talking, Episode 3. We have an action-packed episode for you today. The U.S. team wrapped up their camp from Nations League, finishing with a 4-0 win against Costa Rica in a friendly. We're going to look at the preview of the Euros and some of the MLS players that are included in the biggest teams in the world and some predictions for the Gold Cup roster with a fun activity to act as Bear Halter would. But first, I want to welcome Tom again to the show, our resident aspiring astrophysicist and soccer nerd. Tom, what is going on? Not much, Jake. Just hanging out, having a great time here in New Mexico, ready to talk some U.S. soccer. Awesome. It is a summer of soccer, so there's going to be lots to talk about. Make sure you start following us. We will release a podcast every Wednesday midweek. But first, before we get to any of the news and discussions that we have, we just need to mention Christian Eriksen at the time of this podcast had gone into a cardiac arrest on the field for Denmark in the Euros. He is now in stable condition, being evaluated at the hospital. Really tough to watch, but our thoughts go out to him. We're sending all of our best vibes. Uh, Tom, how did that hit you? It, that was that was really hard to watch. I mean, you never want to see a player go down like that, and especially the way it happened. And it just it reminds you just how fleeting life is and how quickly things can go wrong. And we're just lucky that it wasn't a worse event and that Christian is OK and in stable condition now. It also serves as a great reminder that CPR training is very crucial. If you don't have CPR training, please look at getting a class because it can save lives knowing how to handle a situation like that. Yeah, absolutely. Full credit to the medical team for keeping him alive. So with that, you ready to get started on some of the biggest topics from last week? Let's get going. All right. So the U.S. men's national team wrapped up a Nations League camp with a 4-0 win over Costa Rica in a friendly can you talk to us a bit about how that game went? Yeah. Now, this is a game that I don't have as much to say as I normally do, mostly because there really isn't a whole lot to take away from this game. The U.S. came out and absolutely laid the lumber to Costa Rica, which was not what we expected at all from that game. But all in all, it was a friendly and it was played with a very friendly attitude. Do you have any other thoughts on just the overall game, Jake? Yeah, I think the intensity and the tempo of the game is probably going to be the thing that makes us not take away too much from the game, just because it seemed like our attackers were playing traffic cones for defenders. Our defenders didn't really have to do much. The one thing I will say, the one thing I did take away is that Tyler Adams is integral to the way that we play our soccer. And if we want to do anything going forward, we at least need him on the field or we need to change the way we play when he's not, because Kellen Acosta, Jackson Ewell, any replacement that can play his position aren't going to be as effective as Tyler Adams. Oh, 100%. Tyler Adams, you could tell that he just controlled the game and just he's just a calming presence back there. Nothing gets by him at all. It's just amazing to watch. As a Red Bull homer, I am so happy to see him back with the team. I'm so happy to see him wearing the armband. Again, last podcast, we had the conversation around Captain America being Christian Pulisic and if he did enough in the Nations League final against Mexico to wear the armband going forward. I just want to ask, who's your pick to be the long-term captain of the United States national team? I don't know. It's it's an interesting question. I think that Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, and Christian Pulisic all have good claims to it. But thinking ahead to 
hopefully we qualify for the 2022 World Cup. Not going to make it a sure thing yet. But if we qualify, I want John Brooks to have the armband, at least for that tournament, if not going forward. Just because he's the only player to have scored in a World Cup. He's got experience on almost every big stage in the game. By that point, he will have played in the Champions League as well. He, we saw this camp, how good at just conca-calfing he is. I, I just, I don't know. He just seems like the obvious choice going forward is the most experienced player on the roster. Yeah, I think him and Yedlin were actually the only two players on that roster who had actually been to a World Cup before. Yes, that's true. And Brooks is the only one to have scored. Yep. I love uh, thinking about his celebration, him dreaming that he scored. Can't believe it. Um, Awesome moment from the World Cup. But uh, with that, let's go to our stars and stripes. So we're going to talk about the three biggest gainers who are the stars of the last camp and who are the stripes that we would strike out. Uh, who are the three biggest losers from the camp. So let's start with our three stars. Tom, who you got? With First, the obvious one is Ethan Horvath. He just, he showed out in every game he played. He was excellent throughout camp, and he really created a conversation that we were not having before camp. Before camp, it was Zach Steffen is our obvious starter. And now, I'm not sure that that's the case, I think there's a big conversation to be had about whether or not Ethan Horvath has pushed him for the starting job or outright maybe even won the job from him if he can get a starting role in Europe this year. My second big gainer is actually Kellen Acosta. I know he's he's not effective as the Tyler Adams replacement, but I thought he played really well. And in the U.S. window, where we were really looking to nail down our second six, our backup for Tyler Adams, I think that Kellen Acosta showed why his defensive ability is so valuable and why Greg keeps bringing him back to the team because he's just, he's very active. He's a good passer. He's a solid defender. So I I thought he played really well. My third winner, there's a lot of choices, but I'm going to go with Tim Weah. Weah was the spark off the bench in the final against Mexico. I thought he played really well against Costa Rica. Granted, with the caveats that that game was not played at a very high tempo, but he still looked really active and really good throughout the entire game that he was on. So those are my three big winners right now. Yeah, Timo had a a really great camp. Uh, His performance against Mexico as a substitute is probably one of the most influential and impactful pieces that we had during the game to really change up the way that we were playing and the tempo that we were playing with. And I really can't disagree with you on any three of those. People will talk about Acosta not being the same Tyler Adams. I just did that. I was guilty of that five minutes ago. And at the same time, I thought he actually did a really good job in the Mexico game. He was at least serviceable in the position and did what he needed to do to cement his name, at least on the 23 roster going forward. Yeah, I agree. Now, the cat, he did have to play 40 minutes of left back in a final against Mexico, which is not our game plan going forward. But he had a solid game in the midfield there, too. So he actually surprised me, and I want to see him on the roster going forward. Definitely. He's still young and as we, well. Yeah, he, he is. He's only 25. We have to remember that, you know, there are other players who probably played better than these three biggest winners in the camp. But winners is not necessarily our best players. It's players who probably had the most to gain, not players like Weston McKenney or Christian Pulisic, who are locked on starters for as long as they want to play for the U.S. Definitely. And let me pivot there because 
I had two different players than you in my stars. Ethan Horvath, absolutely one of my stars from the camp. And I totally agree with you. I think he's making a push and actually asking the question if he needs to be the number one starter for the team. I put out a poll on Twitter asking if Stefan had the the seat locked down or if Horvath was putting the question to, to Greg. And all six people that responded said Stefan is still number one. So we might be delusional here, Tom. We don't know. Let us know what you think if you're listening. Um, but my two other biggest gainers were Brendan Aronson and Gio Reyna. The reason I say I'm going to pivot from you there is because Gio Reyna is probably a starter on most people's starting 11 for the U.S. team right now. Going into camp, he was there, but he really solidified his position as a critical piece to this U.S. team. So I think for him, he moved from getting integrated and usually the starter and having a goal and an assist in Mexico and in the camp, just having really good performances all around. I actually think he became invaluable by the time he left the camp. Yeah, I agree. I thought that he was fantastic. And when we get to World Cup qualifying, we're going to see teams key on Christian Pulisic. And we saw Honduras and Mexico both do this, where you're going to play one, two guys on him literally at all times. And the way you punish that is by having someone else who can step up and bang in goals and assists. Because the second that you double mark Christian Pulisic out of the game and Reyna gets a hat trick, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. So having someone who can step up and be a critical piece like that is really going to be important in the Ocho going yeah. forward. I think the my favorite thing about this U.S. team over the last three or four years is that Christian Pulisic, when he was coming through Dortmund and got transferred to Chelsea, was kind of this savior for the U.S. team. And nobody could really reach his level. We couldn't see anyone potentially being at his level. I mean, McKinney was at Schalke. Uh, Tyler Adams was moving from Red Bull New York to Red Bull Leipzig and not really getting into any big minutes. Timo Weah was injured and didn't really see the field for PSG. And three or four short years later, there are players on this team that I actually think have higher ceilings than Pulisic does. Ooh, that's controversial. Do you think Pulisic has the highest ceiling still of any U.S. team player? I don't know. I, I want to say yes, but Reyna and Des ask questions of that. You're right. I, 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 it's hard to beat someone who's only 22 and has won the Champions League and put in the performance he did at the end of the 2020 season and has 16 goals for the U.S. men's national team already. But there are some really good players coming up, too. Yep. Just the fact that we can have that discussion and say, but a bunch of times gives credence to the fact that they, we have a lot of good players that have really high ceilings. And if anything, that will just push the envelope, maybe for Christian to go even higher and reach higher heights than he has already. So no, it's it's a really good problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about the three stars for each of us. Who are the three biggest losers for you? So my biggest loser, and I think this is pretty much everyone across all of U.S. soccer's biggest loser is Jackson Ewell. We the second six job when we started out this camp was his to lose, and he lost it. There's no other way to say it. He looked poor every single time he came on the field, even in the Costa Rica game, a game where I had very little complaints about pretty much everyone. 
I thought that the no, the drop off from Adams to him was noticeable. My second biggest loser is Josh Sargent. Almost for the same position, and I'm going to qualify this by saying I still think Josh Sargent played fantastic in this camp and that he's still starting striker going forward. But with a couple of goals, he solidifies himself as the starter going forward. And he just didn't put one in, and he left the door open and keeps the conversation going. And so he lost his big chance to really stake his claim to being the starting striker. My third biggest loser, I struggled with trying to find one because I thought that overall the roster performed really well. I'm going to go with Matt Miazga. I thought that Burhalter probably rated him as the backup to Aaron Long before this camp. And then he goes and plays three minutes the entire time, pretty much having lost his spot to Mark McKenzie. So it's not because of anything he did, more just because Mark McKenzie showed out and it might have cost him his spot. Yeah, absolutely. I actually had trouble picking a third. I had Jackson Ewell. Obviously, I think that's going to be number one biggest loser on almost everyone's top three. Matt Miazga was another one that I matched with you. I think we're on the same wavelength here. It's not so much about how he played or the minutes that he got, but more so that the people in front of him on the depth chart really solidified their position to lock him out as someone that we are going to look to in the future. I think for him as well, he's at that point in his career where he's mid-20s for center back. He should start to hit his prime soon. And he's really just been on loan from Chelsea for the last few years where he has been the backup to Aaron Long. But now we have other options, and I think he's going to suffer for that. Who's your third? I didn't have one. I I really struggle to put Josh Sargent in that position just because I really agree with your understanding of how hard he worked, the place that he played in the team to be a bit more of a defensive forward. But after, I I think you've convinced me. I actually think we're going to match on all three. Josh Sargent just needed to put a goal or two away to really put his name on that starting 11. There's going to be questions asked if DK is good enough to take his time away from him. If P-Folk, when he's healthy, is going to be good enough to take time away from Sargent. And it really leaves the door open, actually, I think, in the Gold Cup for someone like Matthew Hope to come in and score a few goals. The striker position is one that I think is really based on form for national team. So if you have someone Mm -hmm. that's in a European league, even in MLS, and they're on a tear, there's a lot of discussion around if you should start the most informed striker in that team. And right now, Josh Sargent is not in form for club or country. Yeah, I agree. And when we get into the Gold Cup roster, we'll have a lot of striker options that haven't been talked about yet. And it'll be interesting to see if any of them really show out and sort of get themselves in the conversation when we come to pick a We have to select a 23 in September to really put goals in. And that striker position is really meaningful. And I just don't know if we've got it settled yet. I'm really excited to have that Gold Cup roster discussion in a few minutes because I have a name for striker that I am very interested to hear your thoughts on. So with that, let's move on to our preview of the Euros and some of the MLS inclusions. 
So guys, if you didn't know, there are seven MLS players in total that are featuring for Euros teams. And three of those players play for Finland, two of which saw the field in their first ever win in the Euros against Denmark yesterday. And Robin Laud and Juka Raitala, that both play at Minnesota United, started the game for Finland and saw it through to the one nothing win. There's one player for Hungary, Daniel Gazdag from Philadelphia Union. There are one player. There's one player for Slovakia, Jan Grigas from also from Minnesota United, and another player for Poland, Frankowski, who plays for the Chicago Fire. So actually, when you take a look at it, Minnesota United is sending three players to the Euros. That's a pretty prestigious uh, pin that Minnesota might take home to say. Uh, to to their next signings that, hey, we have players that can play in the Euro. We have players that can play in Copa America. You can come here and make a name for yourself in MLS. What do you have to look forward yeah. to in the Euros, Tom? I mean, it'll be interesting to watch those uh, MLS players play. I actually really, I've been to Finland before personally, and so I was really rooting for them. And I would love to see them actually make it into the knockout rounds. So... That's one of the things I'm going to watch going forward is especially that Finnish national team. I don't think we're going to see any MLS players playing in the finals or even the semifinals of this tournament. Uh, They're not really playing on the top teams, but still having those players a really big thing for the MLS and a sign of their development. Because in 2016, wasn't Simon the only player to go from the MLS? Yeah, we went from one to seven. Mm-hmm. Granted, the te- the level of teams that they're on are not, you know, we're not seeing them play for the Frances and the Spains of the world. But having them there, it's not easy to qualify for the Euros at all. And so having MLS players on those rosters of teams that actually managed to get there is really impressive. Yep, totally agreed. So guys, make sure you watch out for the Euros. There's uh, the best time is during this group stage round where there's three games a day and watch out for those MLS players. I think Frankowski is going to be one to watch for Poland, potentially coming off the bench as a winger. I would love to see an MLS player swing in some assists to Robert Lewandowski, who I think is one of the best players alive right now. Are we really going to hang our hats on Frankowski though, given his recent form for fire? (laughs) He's He started off pretty hot two years ago, but has since cooled. And I don't think any true Polish fans will be happy with me saying any of that with him seeing the field. I think they'd be very happy if he stayed on the bench for the entirety of the the tournament. (laughs) Now, who you got winning the Euros? I don't expect it to be, like I said, an MLS holding team, but who you got? There's so many good teams in this tournament. I think France, Belgium, uh, England even all have really good chances. I'm going to go with Belgium just because of how good they looked against a a pretty good Russian team, uh, although quite old and slow, but that's because they made them look that way. And then living in England as well, watching the game today, hearing the the screams and cries and cheers from all of the neighbors. I think uh, I have to say it's coming home, but that's with a gun to my head from from all of my English (laughs) friends. Yeah, I don't know. England's path is so difficult. I try to map better it out. If they come in second place in their group or third, even. It's better if they come in third. I think that 
if I'm England, coming in third looks great to me in avoiding the winner or second place of that group of death. I that's just that's a horrible draw for them. Yeah. I actually think probably France and Spain have the best chance of anyone. Yeah, just the path that they have and the team that they have mm-hmm. just look really good to set up for a final. England, mm. I actually think they're going to, because third place is going to be the best pathway to the final for them, they are playing all three of their group stage games at Wembley. And they just played mm. their hardest game today against Croatia, and they won that game. So I really doubt that they're going to come in third in this group. Yeah, it'll be hard. I mean, they essentially got the easiest draw they could get. It would be really funny to watch Scotland come out and smack them Wembley. I don't think <laughs> yeah. it's going to happen, but I would enjoy it. I, I did have to remind one of my friends uh, a few days ago that when the U.S. and England were drawn into the same group in the World Cup in, uh, what was it, 2010? The yes. English press put out a newspaper that said EASY as an acronym, and that was for England, Algeria, Serbia, and Yanks, saying that the group was easy. And I just want to remind everyone listening that the U.S. won that group. Yes, we did. That U.S.-England game was the first U.S. soccer match I ever watched. Clint Dempsey with uh, the slow-rolling howler <laughs> from the goalie. But hey, we, we take all of the goals that we score. We'll take them. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'll never forget that moment. That was one of the funniest moments still that I've ever seen in a match. Yep. Good, good first game to watch. Get you into it. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the meat of the episode. Today, we're going to be previewing the Gold Cup roster selection, which should come out preliminarily tomorrow or later this week. And so by the time that this pod comes out, there might actually be a 30-man roster. What we're going to do today is look at potentially a starting 11 and poke and prod each of the positions to see if we can build out a 23-man roster that we're going to take to the final Gold Cup. So we have a few uh, restrictions that we have to use just because we just finished up the Nations League. We're not going to take an A-team with us to the Gold Cup, and there are a lot of players that are looking at transferring in this next window. The two rules that we have, Tom are going to be no more than three of the players from the Nations League roster can be selected for the Gold Cup, and no more than six Euro-based players can be selected. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think that sounds realistic, and any fans who are expecting a full Euro roster should probably reset their expectations. Yep, absolutely. But you know what? We're not great at that. Uh, U.S. Soccer Twitter, <laughs> U.S. Soccer Reddit, we have very high expectations with a pretty mediocre team, if we're speaking candidly. Yeah, it, it makes it fun, though. Exactly. And that's why we do this. So let's uh, let's get cracking. Should we start at the goalkeeper position? Yeah, let's dive right in. OK, so I'm actually going to use one of my three allotments from the Nations League roster. I think David Ochoa is a pretty... Uh, locked in choice to be one of the goalkeepers and potentially the starter. Although Matt Turner makes a really good argument as well, based on his form this season. What do you think about those two players? Yeah, I think Matt Turner probably is the starter going forward in the gold cup before this nation's league window. The discussions weren't Stefan or Horvath. They were Stefan or Turner in a lot of us circles. 
And Turner has been the best shot stopper in MLS for the last few years. So I think we'll see him get his chance through a lot of the Gold Cup. I do hope we get to see David Ochoa play, though. I think he's been great for Real Salt Lake, and it'd be interesting to see what he can do. Now, who do you have if if you have to pick a third goalkeeper? I think that's probably the most interesting choice. I think we can agree Turner and Ochoa are probably our top two available. Who are you going with for the veteran, (laughs) almost assistant coach, third goalkeeper here? Okay, so I'm going to make some waves here. And this is probably going to be the most ridiculous pick that I'm going to have on this team. But I think Brad Stuver of Austin FC deserves a shout. I don't think it will be him because he hasn't really been part of the U.S. picture. And I think if we're talking, you know, leadership, second coach on the field, it's probably going to be Brad Guzan. So you'll be happy to hear that from an Atlanta perspective. But let me just give you some stats from Brad Stuver's season so far in MLS. He is the highest rated goalkeeper among all goalkeepers in MLS right now throughout his eight matches. He has the highest uh, difference between expected goals against and actual goals against. He's had 19 expected goals to be scored against him. Meanwhile, he's only given up eight goals. The next closest is next to half of that. So I know he plays on a new team. He probably doesn't have a great defense in front of him. He's probably making a ton of saves just because he's facing a lot of shots. But man, when I looked into who would my third goalkeeper be and I saw some of these stats, that really knocked me off my feet. Dang, I did not realize he'd have that good. He's having that good of a season. Wow. Yeah, so that, I'm just that does plug, open up. An... <laughs> sorry, I'm just going to plug my my YouTube channel, US Soccer TV. If you do want to see a roster based around the foot mob ratings from the MLS season, basically building a starting eleven with who's most in form in MLS, uh, I do have a video out there that goes through all eleven positions and picks the most in form MLS American players. So Brad Stiver was I... a, a locked in choice for that. Yeah, I mean you have to be. Now, if we're talking experienced U.S. goalkeepers, and I think we have to here, as much as I'd love to see someone like Stuver go, I don't think we're going to see it. I think Guzon is not a bad shout, almost playing the Nick Romando role on this roster, but I think Berhalter is going to want it to be Sean Johnson. Ooh, interesting. Tell me more about that. I mean, Johnson has appeared in several U.S. camps over the last few years. I actually don't think Guzon's had a call-up since 2019. Guzan's also not been in the greatest form for Atlanta. I know several Atlanta fans who would like to move on and are expecting to move on in the next year or so. So it might be someone, it might be if we're trialing someone for a third goalkeeper slot at the World Cup, Sean Johnson's not a bad choice. He's still relatively young with a lot of national team experience. And he's a pretty good shot stopper too. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And I am going to concede my position on Brad Stuver. I know it's head in the clouds, not a realistic option. That's what this is for, though. I think it's time to I think we've got a good group of three now. I think we should head to what position you want to go to next. You want to just work our way around the park and go to left back? Let's do it. All right. The dreaded left back position. (laughs) So I have Daniel Lovitz there. What do you no, think? <laughs> no, no, oh, my least favorite left back in MLS. I, I can't tell what your opinion is. Are you happy with that? Are you not happy with I, that? I am not a Daniel Lovitz fan. 
He's not a bad choice if you want an experienced U.S. player on the roster. I get that. But he is the least exciting attacking option you could have at left back. <laughs> yeah. So, the man so just offers bringing? nothing. I George Bellow has to be going there. That is for me a lock is George Bellow has to get a chance with the U.S. men's national team. Mm-hmm. I think he's a really good young prospect. He's a strong player. He can play in the midfield. He can get forward. He's a good defender. I just want to see what he brings to the national team setup. I think the other left back on my roster, though, is Sam Vines. Nice. Yeah. What do you think? Definitely. He's he's an option. I think it's really safe to bring him, someone like him in. But you're right. For me, George Bellow is kind of the un, unrefuted choice of someone that's young mm-hmm. in MLS and is ready to step into the national team. I agree. And someone like Vines has been the starter at camps before. I've never been that impressed with him. I think he's got a good cross, but I don't know. He He's just never really wowed me before. Yeah. So I want to see what Bello can do. Definitely. For me, it's a little bit sober fines, but I'll take either of them as long as Bello gets the majority of the starts. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. this center back pairing is probably going to take a few minutes to go through all of our options. But if you had to pick a number one and number two to pair at center back, who do you have? I have Walker Zimmerman of Nashville SC and Miles Robinson of Atlanta getting a southern pairing at center back here. Nice. And who would be three and four that are potentially making a case against one of those two? It's really hard given our selection criteria. I went through a lot of center backs looking at this and really struggled to come up with a three and four. I'm actually going to use one of my Euro selections here and bring in Cameron Carter Vickers for my three. For my four, I don't know yet. I, I've got a couple options. Maybe Justin Glad of Real Salt Lake. But someone like Eric Palmer Brown would be a really interesting choice as well. Definitely. So Eric Palmer Brown, I think, plays in Austria. And I'm I'm gonna throw another name out there, Austin Trusty from Philadelphia. Oh, that's an interesting choice. I hadn't considered him. Um, but that is, yeah, he's a strong MLS center back on a good team. So that would be a really interesting selection as well. Yep. Around the same age as Miles Robinson. And actually, when I was doing the foot mob ratings exercise, they were quite close in the form that they've had in MLS. Although Robinson is actually producing for his team. He's had a few assists to his name this year. Some of his passes that are going long to the strikers have really been put on a plate for those strikers in Atlanta to go to goal oh yeah that last assist was a dime yeah that was really really pretty i think that he's actually an underrated choice to be a john brooks backup definitely anyone that can pass the ball can split lines and take out a midfield with one pass i'm happy to have them on the team and we can work on their defensive structure but if we're going to play the way that greg wants us to we need people that are good with their feet at the back um, do you think Miles Robinson in that pairing with with Walker Zimmerman is the one that would be a bit weaker, the one that would be taken out of the starting 11? Or do you think Zimmerman is the one that would potentially be put on the bench for one of the other center backs? I don't know. I They're both such strong players that it's really hard to choose. I think probably Robinson's a little weaker defensively, but both of them have had top five seasons as center backs in MLS. They're both really athletic. They're both really fast, good in the air. It's it's really hard to split the two. Definitely. So at right back, I have Julian Araujo from LA Galaxy. 
And it's really because of his incredible consistency this year. He's had two man of the match performances along with an assist to go with it. And he's one of the younger players that I would love to lock in to the U.S. from a competitive standpoint so that he he plays for the U.S. going forward instead of Mexico. And Brian Reynolds is potentially someone that I think we would bring, although Roma has a new coach, Jose Marino, obviously. So I actually don't think we would take him to the Gold Cup because we'll want him to get some time with his new coach. Do you have anyone else at the right back position? Yeah, I considered Reynolds as well, but Burhalter specifically pointed him out as someone who needs to be in the full Euro camp. So I don't see that happening. Unfortunately, I think he's a really interesting prospect I'd like to get a look at. In absence of Brian Reynolds, what about someone like Brooks Lennon? I haven't watched Brooks Lennon enough, although as I was uh, going through some of the video footage from George Bello, someone that stuck out to me a lot was Brooks Lennon. And I'm a huge fan of bringing consistency across a backline, especially for players that are familiar with each other. So if Brooks Lennon is the right back that we choose to bring to the Gold Cup, then potentially you have three Atlanta United starters on the back line, and they've already built their chemistry. They already know how each other works. So I'm actually a huge fan of that. Although Brooks Lennon in particular, I can't say I've watched enough to say if they're better than maybe a Julian Araujo or another option. Yeah, I, I I watch a lot of Atlanta United games, and I think Lennon's got a really good cross on him, and he's solid defensively and deceptively fast. So I think he'd be an interesting option. I think if we set up with a Bellow-Lennon right-back, left-back partnership, it would be a little bit more defensive with our wingbacks than we play with, say, Destin Robinson. But I think that's going to be the case with pretty much any setup we trot out. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how we go with. My only other option was Aaron Herrera, but his name came up as someone who's been called into a few camps and has had some decent performances at the back slot for the U.S. in the past. Yeah, I think um, are there going to be any surprises across the back line? I think there will. I think that we're going to be seeing some really surprising choices. I don't think that the players that we've selected are going to be the ones that Greg goes with, but I really don't know who he's going to go with. I think that He's going to bring in a few names that just legitimately, I'm like, wow, I never even thought of them. And it'll be interesting to see how they do. I think especially that three and four center back slot are just completely wide open to anyone in MLS. Definitely. I I agree with that. Um, Aaron Herrera plays for Real Salt Lake. He's 24 years old. He's played in four matches so far this year at right back with two assists and an average match rating of 7.4, which is actually quite good. Um, especially considering he's probably swinging in crosses from a defensive position. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely a shout for for this U.S. team. All right, the center midfield. Do you think, so I'm building my team based around a 4-3-3. Do you have the same uh, formation? Yeah, I've got the Greg Berhalter 4-3-3. I've separated out my midfield into center mids and center defensive mids. (laughs) Okay, so want to go to center defensive mid first? Let's go for it. Let's break down the six. All right. Who's there? The dreaded six. Who's there for you? There? Oh, it's it's tricky. For sure, the answer is not Jackson Ewell. <laughs> and, <laughs> as, as we previously stated. <laughs> as we previously stated, I'm ready to move on from the Jackson Ewell as the second six experiment. 
I want to see Leon Flack from Philadelphia Union or James Sands of New York City FC in that spot. Mm-hmm. Leon Flack is definitely making waves right now. Um, he's someone that's coming up consistently as having huge performances for a really good team in Philadelphia. I, I did want to ask, so Gianluca Busio is probably on your roster somewhere. This year, he's been deployed as more of a center mid or holding midfielder for Sporting Kansas City in a position change for him. Would you consider Busio in the center defensive midfielder position? I don't think so. I don't see him as a six. I see him as an eight or a 10. So I think he really works better as the sort of Sebastian Legette, West McKenney type player who's going to be really active and just run everywhere. Yep. I just don't think he's he's going to sit low enough. It was just interesting for me to think about the way that he's been playing for Peter Vermees. And that Mm -hmm. really emulates, you know, dropping between the center backs, giving uh, width to the defensive line and being able to spray balls from from your defensive third. But I'm wondering if Greg will deploy him in the same way or if he really sees him as that attacking mid when he was younger. I mean, he's still quite young now, but when he was first coming onto the scene as an attacking mid, if he'll deploy him there. So actually, uh, yeah. I think Busio could be there, but your picks for center defensive mid are really solid. Yeah, I like those two picks. I don't think I like Busio there just because I want to see how he can do higher up the field. The other option I considered was per Andres Perea of Orlando City. Yep. He, he got a look in uh, the camp before the Nations League, I believe, and performed really well in some of the friendlies that we had played. Mm-hmm. Do you think someone like Johnny Cardoso is available? I hope so. I'm a big fan of Johnny. He's also in form. I think he had a goal or an assist in the last few weeks for his Brazilian team. And for being of his age and American and playing in the Brazilian uh, first division, I think if he's available, he needs to be in this team. It would be really nice to see him. I think that he provides a lot of uh, an interesting look and someone who could do a decent Adams impersonation. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. So that's our center defensive mid. Shall we move on to center midfielders? Let's do it. All right. Now, this is a position where I went with Euro players first, and they're not going to be available. So I'm going to have to caveat that and say we're going to have some MLS selections instead. The people still want to know, Tom. Who are they? My first two are Luca De La Torre and Julian Green. Yep. Now, the Dutch league, Heracles, is going to start before the rest of Europe. So De La Torre is almost for sure not available, which is really unfortunate because I really like what he's brought to the table over the last year and think he would be a really interesting selection. And I want to see how he does with the U.S. going forward. He also played really well in the last friendly window. But I, I just I don't see him being available due to club preseason and the start of his season. Julian Green's another name who has been on fire in the two Bundesliga and did he just get promoted? He, he scored the winning goal for his team to be promoted to the Bundesliga. Yeah, someone like that who is playing really well at center midfield would be great to see what he can do in the roster again. I think he gets a lot of unnecessary hate because of decisions that Clinton made that weren't his fault. Yeah. And I'd like to see him get brought back into the fold. Definitely. If, if there's ever a comeback story for someone on the U.S. team, it might be Julian Green. Not only has he been out of the picture for so long after being brought to a World Cup instead of Landon Donovan and actually scoring in the game against Belgium, but he's also gone through a position change of his own from more of a striker, shadow striker, to a center midfielder now. 
and he's been performing incredibly well. Like Tom said, he's just won promotion for his team into the first division in Germany. Now, yes, he has. And that those two are my starting options. Neither of them will go. I'm confident of that. <laughs> and it's really unfortunate. So in their place, I'm taking, taking Paxton Pomical and Gianluca Busio. Nice. Yeah, I definitely have Busio there. Paxton Pomical is a really good shout. And he probably would have been a bigger part to play in the U.S. team in the last year or so if he wasn't injured. But he did have successful surgery and has been in good form in MLS. I think Luca De La Torre, whether his team is starting early or not, was another one that I had from Europe coming into this team. In the last friendly that he played in, he had one of the best first touches and agility on the turn that I've seen from a U.S. player, and he really surprised me in that game. Um, the other name that I have in center midfield is Georgi Mihalovic, who had moved to Montreal this season and has been performing quite well in MLS. I have him down as a left winger. Oh, okay. So I have someone in the left wing spot that could probably be put in the center attacking mid position. So maybe we switch we switch the players there. Um, but I'll have Mihailovic as a center midfielder for mine. You can put him wherever you want. I'm not going to stop you there. Now, I have two more names I want to bring up. Uh, one, the name we have to talk about, and some people won't like we have to talk about it, is Christian Roldan. Any thoughts there? So... Another interesting point when I was going through my foot mob rating starting 11, Christian Roldan is the highest rated MLS American in the league in this season. So I think if we're going on form, if we're going on the way that he understands the U.S. team and has been in camp before, I really see no way that Greg can't call him in. And he's he's really going to have a love-hate relationship with most U.S. fans. Most U.S. fans, probably, if you ask them, would either not know who he is or not think he's good enough for the national team picture. For me, though, if I'm just going on stats and familiarity with this team and the camp and the coach, one of the players that I'm more confident will be called in than not. Yeah, I agree. I think he's also gone through positional change. He was playing for Seattle as more of an eight low-lying six player for years. And in this new system that they're in, they're in, they moved to a back three. He's been playing almost as a 10, and he's looked great there. So with him on a tear, I'm actually surprised he didn't make the Nations League roster, and I would be shocked if he's not called in. My last name, if we're assuming that Roldan is a locked-on starter, my net, or at least a locked-on call-up, my last name is going to be Caden Clark. Yeah, and he's New the player Rebel. that I had at left, attacking mid left. I kind of figured it might be. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So the way that the, the Red Bulls play is a 4-1-2-1-2 diamond, and Clark is kind of the floating 10 in that position, but he really likes to float towards the left side and cut in. So for the national team, if we're talking 4-3-3, I actually think he plays really similarly to Brandon Aronson. And that's why I had him in the left attacking mid spot, because that's where Greg deployed Aronson. And I see them as really similar players right now. Interesting. I have not actually watched a whole lot of Caden Clark besides his highlight reels right now. I need to go back in and watch some of his game tape because he's he's impressing. Definitely one of the, the young players to watch. And while our most of our team is under 23, 
it's really nice to see that it doesn't just drop off at 19, 18, 17 years old. There's actually a good amount of players in each of those age groups that could potentially move to Europe soon or even this next transfer window. So I had mm-hmm. Kane Clark at the left wing position. Who did you have there? I have Jordi Mihailovic. He's been playing really well over in Montreal. He's actually kind of had a resurgence since he moved to the wing. And my other option is Jonathan Lewis of Colorado Rapids. Yeah, Jonathan Lewis, I think, is a really good shout. Someone that's uh, known to be called into these camps and really someone that's been put under pressure to start performing and start producing at the wing position if he wants to have a chance at the national team. So I think all of those are really good choices. It's probably one of the maybe not weaker positions on the team, but one of the ones that is most up in the air for me. Mm -hmm. I agree. It definitely is very much up in the air. I think that most of our good left wingers are in Europe right now. So it'll be very interesting to see who Burhalter goes with there. (laughs) Yep. So we, we talked about the left side of the field. Who do you have on the right wing? I really want to see him since I, he just informed Besiktas that he wants to stay there. Tyler Boyd needs a call up to this team. I am firm on that. (laughs) So with, with him being one of the Euro inclusions, how close do you think Tyler Boyd is to the first team? I don't know. He's, you know, he, he was a lot closer. I think last time the U S played the gold cup and I thought he was decent. He wasn't perfect, but he had a pretty decent gold cup. And then he moves to Besiktas and they freeze him out for a half year and he doesn't even get to play a minute. So I, he, he, Kind of went on a tear at the end of the year for whatever club he got loaned to in Turkey that wasn't Besiktas, and he's coming back this year. Hopefully he can earn a starting role with the champions and show out, because if he does that, he has a definitely, can he can push Tim Weah for that second right wing position. Definitely. It's a player that has one of the weirdest seasons I've ever seen. He's frozen out from his team, but he continues to produce on any of the teams that he has. So anytime he gets on the field, I feel like I'm seeing goals or assists in the Reddit highlighting his play. And for the team to freeze him out and then bring him back, I I actually think they had a roster issue with internationals that weren't Turkish, but that's still no reason to to treat them like like they did. Um, I do think he can make himself closer to the national team. He's already in Europe where they'll play. I think they're going to be in Europa League next season. I'll check on that. Um, but if you're producing on a team that's that quality and you're you're continually on the field for them, you have to think that you're going to be in the conversation for the first team. Yeah, I think so. If you're playing, if you're producing for the champions of Turkey, you deserve to be called up. And we saw that DeAndre Yedlin called up from Galatasaray, who finished second by on goal difference, I think. Yep. To yep. Besiktas. So. I mean, if you're if you're playing at that high level, you deserve a call up. And I think with how much turnover there's going to have to be in these in these nation in these world qualifying rosters, he's a good player to have around the call up and the setup structure for the U.S. Definitely. So another name that I had on the right was Julian Gressel. He has German heritage and German links, but he stated before that he wants to play for the U.S. as soon as he's eligible. I believe he's eligible now, and he's been quite productive. Uh, in his MLS season. Do you think Russell gets a call in? That's a really interesting one. I didn't know he was eligible yet. I would love to see him get a call up. I, you know, having been a fan of Atlanta since they started, I just 
think that his crosses are beautiful and he plays a really good ball from the right wing. He would be a really interesting name to see. I hadn't even thought of him. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll if he's available, call there, up. <laughs> who, who, did you have anyone else at the right wing spot? I Chris Mueller of Orlando City. Yep. I think Greg loves him as a BC team player. Uh, he's one of the kind of stalwarts of the team that's really not going to change. I would definitely expect to see his name on at least the 30-man roster going into the Gold Cup. I agree. He's been great for Orlando City. He's produced for the national team. He's a good player to have around with experience who can give you a goal off the bench. Definitely. And one one credit I have to give to Greg so far is he's had really balanced rosters going into some of these camps. He really doesn't outweigh you know, experience versus youth or vice versa. A lot of the camps have had a really nice balance where you have veterans, you have leadership, you have youth to really push the intensity, and it's worked out quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this Gold Cup is probably going to be a younger roster than we are used to, but he does a really good job of bringing in definitely players from sort of all age levels and from different leagues. Yep, absolutely. All right, so let's finish out our starting 11 with the forward position at striker. Who do you think starts that first game in the Gold Cup? It's got to be Daryl DK. Do you think I Orlando think Berhalter, allows him to leave again? I don't think he plays for Orlando again. I, I really don't. Ever? You don't think no. he ever plays again? Hearing it right here, don't oh. think that he ever plays for Orlando City again until maybe he's 34 and comes back from <laughs> Europe. But episode three is I, the, the episode of Hot Takes. Yeah, it's my hottest take yet, but <laughs> he is going to get so pretty quickly once the transfer window opens, and I don't think he risks playing a game in MLS. And so, actually, I think a Gold Cup call-up benefits him more than any other player because it allows him to raise his stock without having to play in MLS. And I think he will absolutely crush some of the minnows. He's the perfect player for the U.S. to unlock defenses, or if they're really buckling down, putting 11 behind the ball, we can swing crosses into him, especially if we have players like Gressel um, or Bello that are swinging in really nice crosses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. He's, DK is just, he's an obvious choice. He's, he's such a good player. I still am not convinced he's a starter for the U.S., but he's definitely pushing for at least an inclusion into the World Cup qualifying roster, if not that starting role at striker. So I want to see what he can do, given an extended run with the team. Who's your backup to Daryl DK? The one, the only, Mr. Face goal himself, Giassi Zardes. (laughs) I don't think a Gold Cup (laughs) roster will be complete without Mr. Face goal. No, it's not complete without him. I would honestly be kind of sad if we don't see Zardes on the (laughs) roster He's almost like a talisman of Gold Cup rosters at this point. And I actually like watching him play. It's it's fun to discuss U.S. soccer with people who don't like Zardes because he just keeps proving them wrong and it just makes them so mad. And <laughs> I actually am rooting for him at this point because he's a solid finisher and was on a tear last year for Columbus. Yeah, I know he's not been this year, but to be fair, no one's doing anything for Columbus except Zella Rayon, so exactly. I can't judge him too harshly. They're, they're so. just going to win all their games on uh, set pieces from Zella yeah. Rayon. Um, That's pretty much their strategy. So as I was digging into the starting 11 and potential strikers that were not named Daryl DK or Giassi Zardes, I came across someone that has been in the picture before for the national team. He was abroad before, but came back to MLS last season. And he has actually been one of the most productive players in MLS so far. Do you know who I'm talking about? 
No, I don't think I do. Okay, so Rubio Rubin for Real Salt Lake oh. <laughs> has played six matches so far this year and has four goals and two assists. So he's contributing one goal and assist per game that he's playing. He's still only 25 years old. I feel like his name has been around for a decade at least. But based on his form and the fact that he was or has been in national team camps before, albeit when he was abroad and producing for European teams, what do you think about Rubio Rubin? I like him as a player. My only question is on his commitment to the U.S. Yeah. He, correct, he filed a switch to Guatemala, I think, didn't he? Yeah, and I think that was because he really saw the writing on the wall that there were too many people in front of him on the depth chart. But if I'm Greg mm-hmm. and I'm looking at, you know, who's producing, who's got the most goals and assists per 90, who's in the best form and who potentially, uh, you know, is still of a younger age that they can make a difference and and contribute, this might be a name that I go back to and try and sway him back to the U.S. Interesting. Yeah, it's not a bad shout. Uh, another name like that, who, if he can produce and knock Ruben out of his starting spot, would be Bobby Wood, who just joined the same team. Yep. I think they're going to have a little shootout for, for themselves to see who's even going to take the starting position on that team. But, I mean, I don't I don't watch a ton of Real Salt Lake games, but if I'm Rubio Rubin and I'm producing four goals and two assists in six games, I'd be pretty mad if another striker came in to take my spot immediately, even if that striker is Bobby Woods, someone with Bundesliga experience. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Rubin's safe for now, and I, I think he's an interesting choice for this roster, but I don't think that he's going to cap tie himself to the U.S. for a Gold Cup roster. Yeah, agreed. Even if he comes to the, the roster for the Gold Cup, there's still way too many people in front of him. And if he does, you know, if his priority is playing national team games, he's probably not going to look to the U.S. as being the team to provide those minutes for him. And I went a different way from you on thinking about strikers who could be options going forward in this position. And I went with youth because the name that I really want to see on this roster is Cade Cowell. Cade Cowell of- is the most physically built 17 year old <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. And yeah, go on, please talk your I talk. mean, there's not a whole lot that hasn't been said about him except he just wows every single time he plays. He is a physical monster. He's so fast. That assist he had earlier this year where he sprayed a John Brooks style pass through four guys to hit a guy 50 yards downfield. I mean, he's got the passing, he's got the finishing, he's being tutored by the great. Chris Wondolowski. I mean, there's not a whole lot that can't be said, except this guy's going places, and those places are somewhere big in Europe in the next few years. Yeah, if not now, when is the question for Cade Cowell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see him get in the setup and just see. He's producing, he's probably San Jose's best striker, and that's yeah. saying something when Chris Wondolowski's your backup. Um, okay. So it, every single time I watch a San Jose game, and I've found myself watching more of them now that I live on the West Coast, I find myself pretty impressed with watching Cade Cowell. So I would love to see him on this roster. Yeah. If anything, I'd like to see him on the roster so that all of the announcers get confused between Cade and Clark, Cade Cowell. Um, if if uh, Paxton Aronson becomes a name that, that gets into the team, they'll have some trouble with Brendan and Paxton having uh, brothers on the team. So yeah, we, we have a lot of options when it comes to Cades, to Cadens, to the 
a Cade Cowles king of actually of the, the world. <laughs> a couple Paxtons as well. <laughs> yeah, true. Paxton Pomacall, Paxton Aronson. Um, we're going to be, if anything, we're going to be the most confusing team at the 2026 World Cup. Yeah. Those poor poor foreign announcers are going to have trouble with our roster names. <laughs> exactly. All right. So that's our 23-man roster. We probably had about 25 or 30 names, but we're going to stick with it. Um, anything else to say on that Gold Cup? I, it's going to be an interesting tournament. That's all I can say. I expect Jamaica, Canada, and Mexico, I think, said they were going to bring an A-team to this tournament just because they're so unhappy with how this last camp went. I, my expectations for the U.S. are pretty low, but it'll still be a really fun tournament. It's it's just more CONCACAF, and that just is just peak entertainment. Yeah, I don't know what it was about Nations League. I didn't really care for it before it, it began against Honduras. But man, beating Mexico like that in the final just reinvigorated uh, a fire within me to watch this U.S. team, even if it's a B or a C team. I'm ready to sit on my couch to wake up at two in the morning in England to watch these players in the gold cup. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a fun tournament and these guys, I think that they're going to do pretty well. It's a good test to see where our backups are at in terms of, can we compete with our region? If we have to start say someone in the place of an injured Tyler Adams in a game, a must win game down in somewhere in central America. Yeah. I think it's a similar conversation to why MLS teams usually lose against Liga MX teams in the CONCACAF Champions League. We stack up pretty evenly when you're talking about roster spots 1 through 11, but there's a huge drop-off when you talk about roster spots 12 through 23. And I think that's kind of creeping into the national team situation where positions 1 through 11 on the U.S. team are usually players that are starting or first off the bench in Champions League caliber teams but as soon as you drop off into spots 12 through 23 then we're talking about the kellen acostas of the world the brendan aronsons of the world so who's going to step into those positions in the gold cup and really take that to heart that they're going to be the depth that is going to come and replace that one through 11 roster spot yeah i agree it's it's a really interesting question and it's made even more complicated the fact that even our 12 through 23 a good majority of them are playing in Europe and they're not always available for these CONCACAF windows. So being able to compete in CONCACAF is often a test of these MLS teams and these sort of 25 through 36 guys who are sort of fringe national team players who have to show out and punch above their weight in order to get things done. And we've done it before. So it'll be interesting to see if we can do it again. I specifically am thinking about the 2017 Gold Cup where Jordan Morris led the led the line at striker and just had a great tournament. So yeah. was that when he was still great, in college? No, it wasn't. It was in college. It was when he was sort of just breaking out for uh, Seattle Sounders. Uh, he was still a striker. I think he was backing up Josie, Josie Altador at that point at the striker position. And he scored the game winning goal in the final against Mexico. Love a good Jordan Morris story. Hope he gets healthy soon. Um, Agreed. Um, that's all of our topics for today. Anything more to say to our listeners? No, I think that that pretty much covers everything to do with the crazy soccer summer we're getting into for now. Now we've got a lot of soccer coming up, so it'll be just entertaining to watch it all and see how it all unfolds. Yep, definitely. So guys, thanks again for listening. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we'll have our handles available. If you want to watch some of the videos that we were talking about in the podcast, you can check out the channel on YouTube, US Soccer TV. 
And stick around next week. We're going to have an interview with Filippo from Tactical Manager. It's going to be our first guest on the show. So you're not going to want to miss that. So with that, that's our show. Thanks everyone for listening. And signing off is uh, Jake and Tom. See you guys. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.